0: It's an honor to be here this morning. It's a little bit (laughs) nerve-wracking. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Vanessa. And I usually sit right over here with the man in the coral polo. He's my husband um, of 15 years. And we have two kids, a 9-year-old daughter and a 10-year-old son. Um, We've been members here since 2014. I am not a pastor Please hear that. I am not a pastor. I'm not even a Bible scholar. I'm truly just a woman who, at around the age of 30, became incredibly curious about the Bible, and I began reading it and studying it with friends, by myself, in early mornings. It was extremely peaceful to me to read in the early morning. And I haven't stopped. I haven't stopped since. And the thing is, once you start gathering so much information, there becomes this overflow, and you start sharing it naturally. And I think that's really how I ended up up here today. So before I started studying the Bible, though, I have to tell you that um, God and church were no stranger to me. I was raised in a church. Um, I was very um, well-versed in church language. And I attended Sunday school my whole childhood, and what i remember most about child about Sunday school was number 1 my mom made me wear tights and tights are terrible things for little girls to wear <laughs> they are so uncomfortable and number 2 there were always stories being told and we used to have these big felt boards and these little felt people That would um, be placed up and the story would be told, right? So a little felt Moses went up on the board and a big felt boat. And then we got to take turns bringing up the felt animals. And somewhere during those stories, I actually lost, maybe lost isn't the right word. I had a misrepresentation of God in my mind. I thought he was a little bit condemning. I thought he was the judge. I thought he was going to strike me with lightning when I was picking my nose and I was not supposed to be. That is how I left church feeling. He felt a little bit dark and a little bit scary. I am so glad that he called me into deeper relationship with him many, many years later so that I could learn about his love, I could learn about his grace, and I could learn about his compassion and truth. All those little felt board stories, though, didn't go to waste because God created inside me something that loves stories. I love to gather them from people. So if you're friends with me, your stories are not off limits. Just be warned. (laughs) But I also like to tell them. And when I was younger, I learned that stories had a lot of power. In fact, I was an embellished storyteller when I was a child. (laughs) That's a really nice bird, isn't it? I learned quickly that if I embellished a story a little bit, my two older sisters might get in a little bit more trouble if I embellished it. I also learned that if I embellished the story, my friends might laugh might laugh a little bit louder, a little bit harder. But I also learned that when you embellished the story, you also got in a little bit more trouble. There were many times I remember sitting at my grandma's breakfast table and her telling me the story of the boy who cried wolf. (laughs) Perhaps I got my storytelling from her. But I knew the powers that stories held and stories still hold power. Do you agree? Stories can paint a picture in your mind if told well. They can evoke an emotion in your heart. They can pull tears from your eyes. Stories can also persuade us to take action. And as a justice-oriented person, I like those stories best. I love change. No one understands the power of story more than our consumerist country. (laughs) When I was in college and I was studying market, Marketing, we focused an entire semester on Super Bowl ads. When a company pays millions of dollars for 20 to 30 seconds, you better tell a story well, you better tell it fast, and it better sell some product. Betty White can do that. She is so cute. <laughs> Food and drink companies use their powerful stories to build even more powerful wealth. But Super Bowl Day ads, they are still around, but they've lost a little bit of power. Now storytelling marketing actually happens in a much more casual way, sometimes a way that you don't even notice it's happening. Pick up your little phone if you have it, which I'm sure 99.9% of you in this room have your own phone. My son could raise his hand and say he might be the only one without one. (laughs) Sorry, buddy. You see, on these phones, we have things called social media. And you may not realize it, but you start following someone because you're interested in what they're interested in. I have followed some fashion bloggers lately. I'm like, huh, I really like. They tell me where the sales are, and um, they, they post pictures of clothing that might look the same on my body as it does on theirs. It's like it takes all the shopping work out of my, I don't have to do it anymore. I don't have to do the work. But these bloggers who seem innocent, and they are innocent, I'm sure they're wonderful people, they actually get a little bit of kickback from telling their story about where they found the clothes, how it fits their body, why they, want, why they think you should buy it. They get a little bit of kickback. So before you know it, they are an influencer, and they're using the power of their story to sell you something or persuade you to do something that maybe you wouldn't have done otherwise. So the marketing is still happening and the stories are still being told. Social media also tells a different story sometimes, and it's the story that you paint in your own head. This happens more when you see the people you know doing things on social media, so you open it up and your your friends are all in Hawaii at someone's wedding maybe. This happened to me recently. (laughs) A, A friend I know from college is getting married in Hawaii, and it seems like there's a lot of people that my husband and I know that are there. And if I really wanted to be there, I could paint that story in my head of, gosh, I am missing out. Everyone else is there. There's a new, maybe it's old if you're younger, but a new word that I've heard, it's called FOMO, F-O-M-O. It is the fear of missing out. And it's actually affecting our teenagers more, I think, than we really believe. They're taking a look at everything that's happening on social media, the stories their friends are telling, and it's painting the story in their brain that they are missing out. All of these story transfers, nothing has changed over time. Stories have been told for many, many years. We have um, the news. There's an example of another one. Stories have been told on the news for years. I remember every night... We would listen to the local news at 5.30, and then at 6 o'clock, it was Dan Rather, who my parents were listening to. Hopefully, news is presented in a neutral storytelling manner. You get to decide. I'm not going to decide that. (laughs) Newspapers, do they still print those anymore? They do, don't they? Um, but we also have online, online news sources as well. I've probably missed other forms of storytelling, but I think we could agree from all of these examples that there is so much potential power in telling a story. And power is an interesting thing, especially in our culture. I think that power is often viewed in the form of scarcity. If you have power, I don't. Right? We could look at power in a different form. We could look at power in wealth. We could look at power in weapons. We can look at power in position and titles. And again, it's usually viewed from a source of scarcity. I know I am 100% guilty of the scarcity thinking. I know firsthand that stories have the power of connection. I know that God calls us to be connected and in community. And even still, I don't always feel comfortable or equipped to tell my story. Or I think, you know what? Somebody else has already shared that story. Or somebody else will share the story that has the potential of of reaching more people than I can reach. And so I hold my story in. But, you know, there was a time when face-to-face contact and word of mouth was the only way that stories traveled. What if those people would have had that same scarcity thinking like me? I'm going to walk us through a story in the Bible today where one man recognizes just how powerful sharing his personal experience is before I dive into the actual scripture, I'm going to tell you where we're at. We're going to be working out of Acts 11. But before we're in Acts 11, a lot takes place in Acts 10. So there's this man. (laughs) And he's a Gentile. His name is Cornelius. And he has an angel appear to him and tell him that he needs to send for a man named Simon, who is called Peter. (laughs) I love how the Bible does that. And the angel is very specific with Cornelius about where he is going to find Peter. Very specific. At the same time, in a completely different area, Peter is having a vision. And the vision is telling him, amongst other things, that, he is going to be called and taken away to this man named Cornelius. When they finally meet, a miracle takes place. And it's all explained there in chapter 10, but we're going to explain it again. When Peter returns from this gathering with Cornelius, his friends are like, where have you been? (laughs) And Peter has a story that he needs to tell. So if you want to open your Bible with me, I'm going to be starting at chapter, um, sorry, Acts chapter 11, verse 1. And I'm reading from an NIV version. The apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. There's a lot of judgment in their voices. And the first time I heard that, I, I or read that, I heard that judgment. Almost a sense of exclusivity as well. You know, like, why did you spend time with them? But the fact is that Peter was breaking Jewish law. And I think this is really important to know. As a Jewish man, he's breaking law by visiting a Gentile. And when you visit with a Gentile, you are suddenly unclean and you should not be with other Jewish men. He would be found unfit to sit at the table with them. So their, concerning, or their concern and their condemnation on him is a little bit justified. But the statement was enough to prompt Peter to dive into the details of his story. So we're going to pick back up at verse 4. Starting from the beginning, Peter told them the whole story. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance, I saw a vision. I saw something like a large sheet being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to where I was. I looked into it and saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, reptiles, and birds. Then I heard a voice telling me, "'Get up, Peter, kill and eat.' I replied, "'Surely not, Lord,' Nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. First of all, that's an interesting vision. And on a side note, I think as a child, that was one thing that scared me away from the Bible. <laughs> there are some things that are just really different than the time that we live in now. But Peter says again, I replied, Surely not, Lord, nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. I d- I don't know if he's saying, am I hearing you right, Lord? Everything I know and everything I've been taught you're telling me is different now and I'm supposed to change my behavior. Or is he saying, surely not. I'm not doing that, Lord. When we are called on by the Lord to do something, it's, not, it's often not what we've done before and it's often not easy. I think anyone that I have heard say, I heard from the Lord and I need to do this, First of all, they did not walk super confidently into it right away. And oftentimes, and there are other examples of this in the Bible, they threw up their hand and they say, not me, Lord. Why are you picking me? Surely not. Let's pick back up at verse 9. The voice spoke from heaven a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and then it was pulled up to heaven again three times it was said. Do I have moms and teachers in the room? When you say something three times, you mean it, (laughs) right? I think Peter caught on to that. It was meant he was supposed to do this. He also listened to the details and took note of the details so he could share the story with his friends. It was said to him three times. He continues to listen to the Holy Spirit, and we know that because in verse 11, we start out, right then, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea stopped at the house where I was staying. The Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. These six brothers also went with me, and we entered the man's house. So Peter's smart. He took his friends with him. (laughs) When you do something new and scary, take your friends with you. (laughs) But remember how I shared that back in chapter 10? God was doing two things simultaneously in two different places. My goodness, that happens all the time. And when the connection comes together, it's amazing when you share those stories. And here is where Peter and Cornelius are coming together in verse 13. He told us how he had seen an angel appear in his house and say, Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He will bring you a message through which you and all your household will be saved. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning. Then I remembered what the Lord had said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? That's my favorite line right there. Who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? Do you think Peter's thinking back to when he said, surely not, Lord, (laughs) when he was denying what God was asking him to do? And now I feel like in this point of the story, he's processing what has happened still. He has come back from something amazing that has happened, and he's processing out loud with his friends. Do I have any fellow out loud processors? I have to process out loud a lot of things. What seems like a small meeting in a house and a small act in a house, my Bible scholars in the room probably already know, but this is the first time that the Holy Spirit, the spreading of the church, the Holy Spirit had been poured onto Gentiles. Up until this point, it had only been received by Jewish men. And now, it is being poured out to an entirely different group of people. And actually, while it happens, Peter comes to the realization, if you read back in chapter 10, which I encourage you to go back and read that story. But when it's happening, Peter says, I realize that God is discriminating against no one. It is available to everyone. The Holy Spirit is available to everyone. They are learning in this moment that they are equal to the Lord. They are equal to him. And then also, remember back to that, that thought of scarcity? I think the two groups probably had those scarcity thoughts, those same scarcity thoughts that I run with. If they have power, I don't have power. But they're learning right here that we don't serve a God of scarcity. We serve a God of abundance. Who was I to think I could stand in God's way? (laughs) Verse 18 finishes up the story as a circle of believers who he is sharing with react to what they've been told. Verse 18, when they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, So then even to the Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. This is power. This is humility, which I once heard described to me that humility is power under control. Peter's not boasting in any sort of way. In fact, he's reminding his friends that he is just a man, a man willing to do the work and share the story. Do you see how it shut down those questioning what Peter did? They could not argue with the power of the Holy Spirit after they had learned what happened. You know, we don't always get to see or hear the details of every story that God is writing, because God's writing stories right now. We don't even know why one story gains power and the other story falls by the wayside. I have always personally imagined that God has this giant circuit board up in heaven with lots of connecting pieces. I've seen this far too many times in my life where something that I think is just really minuscule and doesn't matter suddenly comes back full circle and has connected me with somebody very important in my life. It happens too often to call coincidence, and it's one of the reasons I came back to the church, because I started seeing how God was working in my life. (laughs) That's cute. Hey, will you hold this for me, do you think? Thank you. So I picture God has this giant circuit board. This is my son's circuit board. It's a snap circuit. It's just a little toy. You have to connect all the pieces correctly, and he did it for me because he understands it much better. But when I flip this switch, the light comes on because all the pieces are connected in the right order, and I'm really glad it worked. (laughs) But if I were to take off one piece, hold tight, and take it away, the light goes out. The pieces have to be connected. Touching. I'm shaking. I didn't know I could be this nervous, but I am. (laughs) Thanks, bud. The pieces have to be connected for the light to work. Thank you. I'm just going to leave this up here. Whoops. So if God has this giant circuit board, it's easy to think that if I don't do my job of, telling, of, of sharing my stories, that the light is going to go out. And I don't want you to leave with that impression whatsoever, because God is going to do what God is going to do, but we are invited to participate and be one of those connecting pieces if we so choose to. That's why we're invited to be a vessel of the Holy Spirit, and a vessel is an open bowl. It's not. It does not have a lid on it. A vessel is meant to be able to pour from. God is the ultimate creator of the circuit board, and we're invited to be one of those little pieces. And the way I remember this, and I want to share this with all of you if you take a look at your bulletin, Romans 11.36 remind us, reminds us, For from him, let me start over on that one, For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. I asked Katie to do three little lines or three little arrows on the bulletin for me. And they're so helpful. And this is what I doodle when I'm trying to remember. Everything comes down from God. That is that first arrow down. And then we get to be the vessel and everything can pour through us and that's what that arrow out is. It's coming in and through us. And then the arrow up is how we return the glory to God. I would argue that that last piece is one of the most important. But I understand that some of you are probably thinking, Vanessa, I have never heard directly from God. Okay. Fair enough. I don't think I heard directly from God till later in life either. You're at the first arrow. You need to plug in. Ask the Holy Spirit to show you where he needs you. And this might not look like earth-shattering work. It might be the simplest of things. Honestly, what's earth-shattering here in our day and age, or I guess... In the eyes of the world, what can be earth-shattering isn't necessarily what makes the biggest movement. Those two men met in a house, and it changed history forever. One little meeting in a home could be earth-shattering work for the Lord. Some of you might know exactly what you're supposed to be doing and how you're supposed to be pouring out of your vessel, but you might be scared. Or you might not want to do it. You might be saying, Lord, surely not. <laughs> I want to encourage you to do it. Do it scared. Do it excited. Do it with friends. Just do it. Give it a chance. Analysis paralysis is the devil's work. <laughs> Have you ever heard of that? Analysis per, per, uh, I'm not going to say it twice. Paralysis. That's when you get stuck in that thought potter. Thought pattern of, I can't do this, I can't do this, I can't do this. That is not from the Lord. If you know what you've heard from the Lord and you're supposed to do, you need to take action and actually do it. And then others of you are doing the work, and the work feels heavy. Maybe it feels like it's too much for you, or maybe it just doesn't feel quite right. Ask yourself the question about returning the glory back to God. Are you returning that glory back to him? Can I share with you one last personal story? My daughter Harper was um, born in July, so we just celebrated her ninth birthday. When I was pregnant with her, there were about two weeks before I delivered her that I had a series of emails going back and forth between my husband and I. And the series of emails was something like, well, we had had a 17-month-old son at the time, Uh, The series of emails was something like, Oh, Baron's sleeping, and man, I feel huge. I'm sitting down on the couch, the computer doesn't fit on my lap hardly, and baby Harper doesn't seem to be moving as much as I thought she was earlier. I had super active babies in utero, so you could see them moving. I'm like, She's not moving as much. And I sent him almost an email every single day. And then one day, I was doing dishes at our kitchen sink in our house in Oregon. And I just remembered this overwhelming sense of, I need to go to the hospital. It was four weeks before she was due, and so I just thought, I need to go. My son was sleeping, I called my friend, I said, I'm gonna bring Baron to you, and I'm gonna go to the hospital. I need to do a non-stress test because I just feel like something isn't right. And most of that morning is a complete blur to me. The one thing I do remember is driving past Costco and thinking, I need to get dog food. And that's it. I don't remember dropping off my son. I don't remember any of that. I, th- I think I called you. Oh, I know when I called you. Um, <laughs> so I walked into the hospital and they took me into a room, put me on a bed, strapped me up to this big monitor. And they were talking to me, friendly, friendly, friendly. And it went silent. They stuck an oxygen mask on my face And they started working like the busiest hospital workers you have ever seen work. And I pulled that ma- mask off my face, and I said, what is going on? And nothing. <laughs> I got nothing. Miss- Mrs. Holstein, you should probably call your husband right now. So I called my husband, and I cried and cried and cried and cried over the phone. Somehow he got there. Um, and we had a baby in less than an hour. Not a healthy baby. We had a baby in less than an hour. She was in the NICU for a week. And during that whole week, people were saying to me, wow, you have such a mother's intuition. Wow, you are so lucky. It's so good that you were listening to your body. And I remember I hated, I hated hearing that. Because you know what that felt like? That felt like I had the power of life and death. And I knew I didn't. I knew I did not have that power. And I didn't want that power, because that story could have gone very differently. And so the more I thought about it, the more I was like, gosh. The other thing I didn't like about it is it was like the doctors were handing the power back to me. And I'm like, wait, you're the smart one in the room. You're the one who's supposed to be in charge of life and death. And I don't want that. That's your job, not mine. And so I've never, ever liked sharing that story until years later when God just opened up my eyes and said, the Holy Spirit is the one that took you to the hospital. The Holy Spirit is the one who made sure that her life was there. And if you get a chance to meet her, she's a little fighter. (laughs) Perhaps an embellished storyteller herself too. (laughs) And here's what happens, and I believe this happened to Peter too, and I actually missed this when we were talking about it. But when you realize that I am just a man, it's a statement of freedom. It is a statement of complete freedom that the Lord gives to you because you're not in charge, and you don't have to be. You don't have to be God. You don't have to make every single decision and make sure that it comes out all right. God has it in control. Let me pull it back together. <laughs> Imagine if all of us, as God's ser- servants, were listening to Him today and acting obediently. We hear from Him, we pour out from Him, and we send the glory right back up to Him. I think momentum would build. And just like the Holy Spirit was spreading in the books of Acts, and the church was growing and growing and growing and building momentum, I believe that that can happen today. Still, I believe that the church can have the loudest voice, but it doesn't have to be physically loud. It will just be seen through the light of his people, through the love, through the passion of his people. And no one would be able to deny who is in control. I've asked Donald to play one of my favorite songs here as we wrap up. Feel free to stay during the song and pray through this. I'd really like you to spend some time in prayer and ask, where are you in this? What stories do you have that have power that you need to be sharing? At your dinner table? Sharing with your friends at school in the drop-off line? What stories do you have that need to be told? Pray through this. Ask the Lord. How can you show him glory? But before we play this song, I'm just going to pray. Oh, and if you want to, please feel free to leave. It's okay. You can visit with your friends out in the foyer. Respect the quiet space of those who do want to stay and pray. And do not forget your kids upstairs. And don't forget to thank one of those very uh, important people up there that's helping take care of the kids. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, we thank you for being the one who holds all the power. And we thank you for your abundance of power. Continue to create in us each one of us the vessel that you want to pour through. Lord, open our eyes to the stories that need to be shared. The good stories, the hard stories, the sad stories. We thank you for giving us the chance to take part in each one of the stories that you've written. And we just send all the glory back to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.